Hello. Hello. Hey, uh, so what do you think about the latest movie I inflicted on you? The movie we just watched, Moulin Rouge. Is it in a sexy French accent? Actong Moulin Rouge! Oh, come on. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Dan is actually half French. And mm-hmm. I fully did not appreciate this film. Uh, tell me why. Oh, I will. <laughs> I've got... It's, uh, it starts at the start. It's a mess. <laughs> the whole thing is a mess. Right. And halfway through, I had this realisation, probably not even halfway through, that we talked about how you have not learned how to watch a film like The Matrix. I have not learned how to watch a film like Moulin Rouge. Yeah, you need to be in your pyjamas, at a sleepover, with some popcorn, after a pillow fight. No, I think you need to be off your face <laughs> on ketamine. <laughs> I think either, 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 either or. It's open to both <laughs> ends of the spectrum. It's 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 messy. It's disjointed. It's overwhelming. It's edited strangely, and I'll come to that. And okay. So I think I'll tell you what I felt as I went through it, and okay. I'll, then I'll tell you the things that I learned afterwards that helped to put that in context, but didn't make me feel any better about the film. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy it. I felt like it was absurd. The whole thing was absurd from start to finish. And it starts even in the first kind of thing. There's a there's a guy who pops out of a roof right at the start who's the singing who sings. There was a boy. Yeah, yeah. And you think, Oh, okay, we've got a singing narrator. I'm on board. I understand. And then it goes into Ewan McGregor and he mm-hmm. begins to narrate. And you're like, hang on a minute. Are we having. See, this is what you can't get your head around two narrators. Why do we need a narrator inside a narrated, already narrated story? Like, In my year six pantomime, we had two narrators. Yeah, fine. Got a problem with that? Not for a year six pantomime. <laughs> there's, there's, there's little bits that carry on throughout the film, like John Leguizamo. Who is a normal-sized human? Who's he? Oh, Tybalt. Playing Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. Mm, sexy. I'm doing it for you. <laughs> playing a short, short person on his knees. Yeah, that's, that is that is quite year six pantomime. It's super blatant the whole time. Like as soon as I saw it, I was like. I know that guy. That's Sid from Ice Age. But that's the only reason I knew because I'm like, oh, I've seen him in in something where he was normal-sized. Why? But they have short people in the film. Why not just have I a know, short person? I it know. It is like a kick in the teeth to dwarf actors. Or a kick in the chest. <laughs> a kick in the wrong height <laughs> place. Yeah. like the, But that's what I think about when they use beautiful people to play ugly roles and they give them a bit of makeup to make them ugly. You know, like they put, for like a geeky teenage role... They put some like glasses on a beautiful person, and I think there's loads of ugly actors <laughs> out there. <laughs> Why not give them a chance? Don't worry, love. In the film of our lives, I'll make sure they cast two absolute <laughs> mingers. <laughs> so there's bits like that that take me out of the film because I'm like, that's a normal sized person on his knees, and it's blatant, and you see his legs, and you see bits where it's just wrong. 
so I'm taken out of the film. I was already mm-hmm. taken out of the film by the by the shoddy narration decisions. Two narrators. It's like too much. Shall to we have Shall we have one narrator or two? Yes, let's have all of them. Why don't they all narrate? But like weird sort of fighting in some kind of digital universe. Because it's fine, <coughs> but two narrators—it's just too far. No, it's a—it's—it started off on the wrong foot. So, because it's like a joke, it must adhere to its own internal logic. But the film only used that singy roof man twice at the very start and once quite near the end. Okay. It, it just—it didn't. It—it it kind of decided to break as many rules as it wanted to. All of the time. Okay. And it felt messy and it felt absurd. And the first number inside the um, inside the club, inside the Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yeah. Easy love. <laughs> the first musical number is like cut really fast and really... Uh, like smash cuts, everything's next to it. I think that's Lots what it's meant to be, like loads of colour and noise and fun. It's like a carnival. Yeah, and I think you're meant to be like lifted up and carried away on this big, exciting, wild ride. But that's where I felt like I haven't learned to watch this. I was just like assaulted. No, but I love it. It was like, oh, look, stuff's happening and colours and music and it's all exciting costumes and stuff, whereas The Matrix is just like greeny kind of screen and just shooting and sadness there was no like exciting costumes yeah but there was no a bit ruffles then. there was a bit then and there's a bit when they do Roxanne as a tango yep. and let me just say as an aside I love that idea Roxanne as a tango okay I thought oh that's a that's a great reworking we'll come to why it didn't work for me later <laughs> go on but the thing was in the Matrix, you can see what's going on, the framing, you understand where people are. This was just like random cuts of, oh, there's a leg. Oh, there's someone's head. Are they singing? Oh, it's gone. I don't know. What's happening? But you don't have to like follow the whole thing. I'm trying to follow a film. It's not like I'm going to be like, okay, now make a flip book frame by frame of everything that happened. No, but my brain is trying to track, okay... Is that person important to the story? Is that person going to come back later? Is that person trying to convey some kind of information? Yeah, because you've got your sci-fi head on. You haven't got your just, like, fun colours head on. You never have your fun colours head on. I'm bad at colours, okay? This is not the forum to shame me, to colour shame me. (laughs) You are bad at colours. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't... I should be... If we ever went to, like, a Brazilian carnival... Would you be cool with that? Yes, because I would be able to control the speed of my blinking. (laughs) And I'd be able to go, blink, okay, this makes sense. (laughs) You know, the things are coming past me in an understandable manner. I felt like there were so many instances where I was like, hey, what just happened? Where did that person... I think you'd be terrible on ecstasy. I don't even think you'd enjoy it. Well, isn't it meant to render you ecstatic? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe next podcast, let's do it on drugs. We'll do it on some crushed Lemsip. <laughs> Lemsip is pre-crushed, actually, isn't it? <laughs> um, it felt over the top, and I, it it wasn't an over the top that I was able to get into and be brought along with. 
it was like an assault on my senses that didn't help me to be inside the film. The other thing was the music. Obviously, it's a musical. Yay! Yay! Hooray for musicals! But they did... I read up... They did something to make Ewan McGregor's character sound seem clever was to use what we would call modern day films, not from the time period it's set in. But I was just like, how much did they have to pay Elton John to to use his song all the time? Coming on to that song, did it bring back nice memories for you? Should it have? Do you remember that song? <laughs> I do remember that song, not sung by Ewan McGregor, sung by Ellie Goulding. Yeah. That was our first dance wedding song that went a bit wrong. Only because your cousin had dropped some meat on the floor. I don't think that was the only factor. I think neither of us can dance. Yep, that was a that was a major factor. I think also the fact that the song is really long and you know at a normal wedding you start a song and then the couple dances for like one verse and they're like, Oh, come and join everyone. We couldn't do that because we had a Kaylee because we know we're like bad at dance. We booked a Kaylee because that's not real dance. Um, it's like country dancing or something. Irish country dancing. What's the other word for it? Folk. Like a barn dance, if you don't know what a Kaylee is. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we just had one song for our first dance and then the Kaylee, which meant there wasn't that bit where you just invite everyone to come in and meant we were dancing kind of for like four minutes really badly but it's like a really like serious lovely song but we weren't taking it seriously it was just so awkward four minutes of awkward embarrassed dancing to start your married life it's it's amazing we've done this well to be honest i know um so it's a little bit funny this reference inside Mm -hmm. the film it just it comes back many times this song and i kept feeling like I like that song, or rather, I liked that song. Please don't ruin it for me. And that happened a few times. Like, I like the Children of the Revolution song. Oh, yeah. The Children of the Revolution. Yeah, I And I just thought, oh, I'd rather just go and listen to that song, actually, than your kind of glee fever dream medley of all these songs cobbled together. Like, the musical people, I think the people who put all the music together, did a good job. Okay. You know, and it was it was probably well made. Mm-hmm. But I was distracted so much by all of these things. Basically, you can't take lots of things at once. You can't take, oh, there's a knee, there's an elbow, there's a face, there's a dress. You, you want them separate. I want a bit there's more... There's a nice song, there's another nice song. Don't mash them together. I want a bit more coherence... So I'm going to talk, it's described variously on the internet as like a musical, drama, romance, uh, jukebox musical on one place. And no point is it described as a comedy. And there's this this bit early on where Ewan McGregor, what's Ewan McGregor's character's name? Who does he play? Christian. Oh, yeah. He plays Dear Christian. Mm-hmm. He goes to see Nicole Kidman's Satine mm-hmm. and he recites Elton John to her and that makes her love him. 
and then imagine if she knew it was an Elton John song. I mean, deep inside, she did. She's an actress. <laughs> um, and he he free he f- improvises this poem of Elton John, and she's writhing around on the floor, going, "Oh yes, yes, yeah, that that's your poetry. To give me your poetry." Oh, poetry me, you poet of uh, I'm like and, and at that at the start of that happening I thought, Oh, it's a comedy. Okay, I've misunderstood. It's a comedy. And then it wasn't. And I was like, Oh, was that meant to yeah, be that, serious? That bit is weird because 'cause I've been to poetry nights and no one's ever writhed around on the floor. More of your poetry. Oh <laughs> The other moment where I thought they're playing this for laughs, but it's not a for laughs film was the creepiest Madonna cover ever. Do you remember that bit? Oh, like a virgin. That bit. Jim Broadbent and the guy who plays the bad guy, I don't know, Mr. Mustache and Fop, do a cover of Madonna's Like a Virgin, and partway through they realise, oh, Jim, you're not really a singer, mate. And the director must have gone, have you tried doing it like a chicken? And he goes, like a <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> what the heck is this film? What am I watching? This is the creepiest. He's just said, oh, she's gone to confession. The woman, she doesn't want to come and see you because she thinks this is like a marriage night. She wants to absolve herself of all her sins. So instead, I will traumatise the viewers forever and chicken sing my way through <laughs> Madonna's virginity song. Chicken singing is actually one of my favourite genres. Like a... <laughs> And and I thought, this must be a comedy, right? This this can't be a serious, dramatic piece. I think that's, you know, a a fun fun bit of it. It creeped me out. It wasn't (laughs) fun. That was like... Chicken virgins, not your thing. Chicken virgins, (laughs) not my thing. I want fully inseminated chickens or nothing. (laughs) It, It was bonkers. Any bits you liked? I like some of the music. I thought, okay. but I, I kept thinking, oh, I wish I'd, I, I wish I'd just gone and listened to that song in its entirety and enjoyed what that song is, quote unquote, meant to sound like. Do you know what one of my favourite songs from the film is? You're smiling at me like I'm not <laughs> going to enjoy the answer. I'll give you a clue. If you asked an average Brit, do they know anything in French? Uh... <laughs> There's about three phrases you can expect one is Ouelegar yes and the other is voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir so I <laughs> uh, that comes early on at the start that's the big the yeah. opening to the big, uh, big musical number with Jim Broadbent fronting that and I knew that was uh, Christina Aguilera and is it Lil Kim who it's sing really? that in real life but the, I kept looking for them to like cameo and sing that in the film, and they weren't there. And then it goes into like Fatboy Slim's Can 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 and all. Is that Fatboy Slim? Madness, isn't it? The Fatboy Slim. Because we can can can. Isn't that is that Fatboy Slim? Who knows? Somebody will know. Somebody will know. And if we were a massive podcast, yeah, this, this is us. not the podcast for experts. No, <laughs> not us. It was just kind of mad. And so I went through the whole thing thinking, 
this is absurd. And that made me not care about the characters. There was also a moment near the end where I out loud fully expressed my I don't care about the characters to you because you said, oh, this is dangerous. Which bit? There's a bit at the end. Christian and the Duke are competing mm-hmm. for Satine's love. And Chris, uh, no, the Duke has got some valet with a gun because every film you love has a rich person with a lackey and a gun. And the gun's sort of flopping around through the air. And you're like, oh, this is dangerous. And I said, well, no, it's not because we know right at the start, Ewan McGregor tells us, Christian tells us, she dies and he's there living. So it's like, the intrigue that could have been there. Oh, does she get shot? Oh, no. It's like, well, she's going to die. It's just whether she gets shot or she dies of this coughing blood that she's got. Coughing blood. Coughing blood. Uh, it was a big disease back in the Moulin Rouge era. Consumption. Also known as tuberculosis. I read afterwards, I think you read this too, Baz Luhrmann was inspired when he watched a three and a half hour long Bollywood film and... He was also inspired by the editing, uh, fast-paced editing of like MTV music videos. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, that makes it make a bit more sense. I haven't seen very much Bollywood at all. No, me neither. But it did feel a bit like what I've heard of or seen of Bollywood. It, it felt yeah. like that. And then the editing did... It is weird. I wrote in my notes part of the way through. It's edited a bit like a movie trailer. There's lots of those kind of like face, knee, dress, woman, person, man, elephant kind of things going on. But in a movie trailer, you do that because you don't want to show the full story. Mm-hmm. You just like want to get people excited and interested. And then they go to the film and they see the full story. But editing, well, to my un practiced eyes editing a film like a film trailer or like a music video that's something that's much shorter and done to grab a shorter attention span it was like what why have you i'm not seeing the full story and there's no chance for me to go and see the full story later because that was it you know i've sat down to watch your two hour ten minute long film mr lerman do me the favor of actually showing me all of it rather than just like some woman's ankle okay I mean, I didn't have a problem with that. I tell you what, I did have a problem with a bit of a plot line. Right. You know, right at the end, um, she was about to go and run run off with Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And escape the whole situation because she had to go and sleep with the Duke and she didn't want to. And then the guy Zidler, whatever his name is, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. was like Satin. You're dying. I don't really see how that bit of information would really make that much difference to the decision to run away. I mean, it's it's big news, <laughs> but... Big news, Satine. It's like a game changer, but it's but still, why wouldn't... That would even more make me want to run away because there's no lifelong consequences... So why is she like, oh, okay, I'll stay and do the show then? Like, I totally agree. It's a game changer and it changes her game wrong. Yeah, it's not on your like week to live bucket list, is it? Sleeping uh, with a duke. Sleeping with a duke and being in the opening 
night show of this thing that we've created. Honestly, there were bits in this that I was like, I wouldn't stand up for this level of quality in an Edinburgh show. Someone's first year Edinburgh show. In an Edinburgh show, that's harsh. There were bits like where Jim Broadbent, the guy playing Harold Zidler, the owner of the Moulin Rouge until he sells it to the Duke, just reminded me of our friend Rob Bond doing one of his comedy characters. And I was like, how is this not a comedy? It's so absurd. It's so over the top. And yet they're still trying to play it as if it's a real drama romance rather than a comedy romance. If it had been more rom-com, I think I could have tolerated a bit more. I've got this book here. It's called Writing Comedy for Television by Brian Cook. Uh, let me just check. It was published in the olden days. I can't find the number. Right, and there's part way through of of Moulin Rouge. There's a moment where there's like 45 seconds of proper GCSE knob gags. Okay. I've got this book out. Is it uh, GCSE knob gags? <laughs> <laughs> I wish the book was called that. Uh, Brian Cook, dear man, if you're still alive... Writing, uh, copyrighted <laughs> in 1983. I have I got this years ago. Honestly, I was probably an early teenager when I got this book. And somewhere in here, there is uh, writing at cross-purposes, and it's exactly the same example, all about how... Um, oh, yes, mine's quite long. Oh, I have to rest it on a tripod. Oh, yeah, oh my, I know. My large cannon, yes. Oh, you know, and it's all like... Oh, we think he's talking about his schlong, but actually he's talking about his camera in that example. In Ewan McGregor's thing, it's like, oh, it's quite modern what I do. Oh, yeah, and he's talking about his poetry, and she thinks he's talking about his penis. <laughs> I'm doing air quotes for both of those. And it, I just sat there like, did they think this was a good idea? Like, was this the best they could do? These are professionals at the <laughs> highest level. And I, I can pick Everyone it out loves of a knob gag, though. A good one. Like best knob gag. Best knob gag. I know my favourite knob gag. I've been to see <laughs> Gary Delaney live. He didn't do it, but it's uh, my friend's just got a penis extension. <laughs> now his house looks stupid. I'll, okay, I'll go film nerdy here. Mm-hmm. David Mamet, who is a film director. Oh, yeah, heard of him. He says you make a film three times. You make a film when you write it when you shoot it, and when you edit it. And I would say, of the three in this film, Baz Luhrmann's strengths were directing and editing. But the writing, I felt like, was the weakest bit. And there were just bits where I was like, oh, come on, guys. Ewan McGregor wrote The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music. Great song. Not written by Ewan McGregor, though. And that's the first one. And he's like... And and the lead-up to that is is they've worked backwards. They've gone, okay, we want to end with you and McGregor going, the hills are alive. So what shall we do? We'll go, mm, the mountains are trembling. Oh, the valleys are quivering. And they do all these rubbish versions that are probably equally as rubbish as the versions I've just done because it feels like they just threw the script together in bits and went, yeah, that'll do, and we'll make it look great. No, no, I thought it was fine. <laughs> I'm sounding like such a pretentious. <laughs> I did notice though it had quite a lot of similarities with the film Titanic. What? <laughs> Maybe that's just my theme. You see Titanic my, in my, everything. My genre is 
a ginger woman <laughs> falls in love Wait. with an artist. Wait. But she's meant to be in love with some rich guy. Okay. Um, and it's the olden days and someone ends up dead and there's also a diamond necklace involved. Have you ever considered that you only watch films about <laughs> olden day gingers? <laughs> I, are there any other olden day ginger films? It's, it's actually hard to track down olden day gingers because of black, black and, and white. white. Yeah. But um, Elizabeth first, big hero of mine. I can't think of any others. Elizabeth the second, was she ginger? Wait, that's no. our current queen, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's the one that's still on. <laughs> How much did Elton John get paid? I've just written that down halfway through my notes. But you haven't found out. No, it's unlikely. <laughs> Google it yourselves, listeners. <laughs> if you it, really want to know. In my defence, I think it's unlikely that they would make that information super public. But do you think? But maybe he was. Maybe that was happening happy for him like i'm sure he because was. people are, are getting into his music like a new generation so i think elton john's doing all right for listeners love i don't think he needs that much extra exposure he's been in a john lewis advert oh yeah that was cute uh it i did read it, it took them two years to get the music rights for all the different bits of music that was redundantly phrased i bet that was dull paperwork I feel like, as well, though, that's kind of impressive perseverance because you've made this film and then you've got you, you're chugging along for two years trying to get it, or you've written it, or whatever. So, do you d which bit do you do first, though? Because if you filmed it all and then you're asking for permission afterwards, that's Rookie. that's risky. Surely they ask for permission first. I would hope so. <laughs> that would be yeah. like so annoying if you'd filmed it all and then Elton John had said no and they're like, oh, back to Paris. <laughs> back to 1900 <laughs> Paris. Um, yeah, no, somebody did turn it down. The song Father and Son by Cat Stevens was meant to be at the start instead of... Um, Is that the Boys Own one? I know you said Cat Stevens, but was it Boys Own in our era? I don't know, I didn't do a lot of boys on in my era. Find a girl, settle down. If you want, you can marry. That one. If she doesn't <laughs> die of consumption <laughs> or get stolen by a duke. <laughs> I, I think it is that one. I think it is that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's, he that person... Who, Boyzone said, no, you can't use that song. <laughs> so they had to put... Um, there was a boy... A very Ewan McGregor boy. Is that made up by them? I think, I think if I'm right, I read that it was written by Craig Armstrong, the guy who did the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. The guy who also did the soundtrack for Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet is an amazing film. It's good. But unfortunately we agree on that, so we can't use it for this podcast. We've both seen it and we both agree it's good. He Apparently he wrote it for Romeo and Juliet, but it wasn't used. Oh yeah, I read that. The so the come what may bit. Oh, was that? It's that yeah. bit. I got it wrong. Come what may. <laughs> Do you want to know some Moulin Rouge facts? As in the real Moulin Rouge, the historical place. No, thanks. Uh, I've written down. <laughs> I bet they felt really clever when they wrote this. I don't remember what <laughs> is. I don't. Did you feel clever when you wrote that? 
Oh, look at me. I can use a pencil. <laughs> not a pen, though. I'm not trusted with my own notepad. Uh, go on, give us your Moulin Rouge facts. I just wanted to do that for fun. Uh, it was built in 1889, the same year as the Eiffel Tower, which I forgot that Paris once didn't have an Eiffel Tower. Like, what did they have on the postcards pre-1889? When were postcards invented? Ooh, good question. don't know. But I just can't imagine... I just can't imagine it without a tower. I'm sure I've heard a story about postcards being invented in like Blackpool and they were a bit lewd when they were first invented. Mm, they've also got a tower. But what would Blackpool be without a tower? It would just be chippies and poverty. And a big light spill. Mm. When was the Blackpool Tower made? Was that before the Eiffel Tower? I'm pretty sure it's a replica of the Eiffel Tower, my love. I've got a funny story. It might be a funny story. I'll see if I can tell it well. Um, I used to work with this lady called Mel, and she said to me, Oh, Dan, your French... This is a good story. Oh, well, now, well, now there's <laughs> pressure's on. You're French. You'd love this. You'd love to go to Vegas, because I went there. She'd been to Vegas. And they have a mini Eiffel Tower in one of their hotels out the front and I was like Mel you should go to France they have a full size Eiffel Tower <laughs> um, I felt quite smug about that when I said that poor Mel she didn't that is a that. weird thing to say though so yeah anyway it was, it was built in 1889 yeah and it burnt down in 1915 the Eiffel Tower no Moulin Rouge oh okay I was going to say how does a metal <laughs> structure burn down burn, yeah. um, and then they built it again oh it's the birthplace of the Cancan dance. We, oui. and it was co-founded by Charles Ziedler. He's an actual person, not Harold Ziedler. Uh, no, according to Wikipedia, Charles. But maybe that was his father or his son or something. Because this was set in nineteen hundred. Yeah, eighteen ninety nine so, and nineteen hundred. So, don't know. Anymore. That's all I got for facts on that. Okay. Oh, no, wait. Oh, I've got ah. some exciting... I've got some gossip from the past. That's just history, love. <laughs> Do you want to hear some 1890 gossip? Okay. All right. Prince of Wales, um, not the current one, travelled to the Moulin Rouge. You're making me wait for it. In 1890 uh, and went to one of the shows and he got spotted by one of the girls who was like, this is a direct quote. I can't do it in a French accent. I can't do it in French. You can translate for me after this. Do it in a Birmingham really accent. Do it, or do it in any accent you feel competent at. That's one of the two. <laughs> My own accent. Hi, Wales. The champagne's on you. <laughs> <laughs> A it bad Brummy accent is the only accent I can do. Can you translate that to a uh, French French prostitute accent? Hello, Monsieur Wales. <laughs> the champagne, it is on you. That's great. Can you maybe, do your scouse as well? I love your scouse. Maybe what she meant is she had spilled some champagne on him. <laughs> hey, <Yeah>. Wales, <laughs> the champagne's on you. <laughs> Too much? <laughs> that was great. Uh, you ready for some more <laughs> gossip from the past? Gossip from the past. That's what they should reband 
rebrand history as in schools like I have GCSEs in maths, English and gossip from the past. Nineteen twenty seven some female dancers were meant to pop out of a huge artificial cake covered in real frosting, but their heels got stuck and the frosting went all over the stage, made it all slippy and they were constantly falling over the whole show. <laughs> what losers? <laughs> <laughs> One last fact. Okay. Uh during the war, uh the Germans were occupying France and they just the Milan Rouge stayed open and the Germans just went in and enjoyed the show. Why wouldn't they? Lovely. Yeah. That's nice, isn't it? Not really. Ever been occupied, my love? (laughs) Ask the Palestinians if they'd like a Moulin Rouge or they'd like the occupying force. I don't know if they'd go for that because they don't don't like shoulders, I'm imagining. (laughs) Oh, yes. The famous famous part that's revealed in the Can Can Dance... (laughs) Is the shoulders. <laughs> Epaulets. I mean, they're not They're not against shoulders per se. <laughs> Do you think in Palestinian anatomy, <laughs> they just have the neck and the elbow? Head. And knees and toes, knees and toes. That's where that song came from. You know the bit where you miss out a uh, body part? Yeah. That's just the Palestinian version. <laughs> Shout out. To all the Palestinian listeners. What, what, Palestine? Uh, I think it's time for another shout-out. Credit shout-out. It's time for the credit shout-out. Shout-out, shout-out. That's what this podcast is all about. We big up a person with a silly job or name. Like Shugo. This is bound to lead to their future fame. I'll start with Nene Legs in the Air, by, uh, played by Caroline O'Connor. Apparently, hey, Caroline, if you're listening, well done. Um, <laughs> Do you know who I want to give a big shout out to and who I need in my life? Yeah. Shoe coordinator, Jody Morrison. Good work, Jody. I, um, I once. Went on holiday, uh, I was a leader on a children's camp when I was about 18, and I don't know how I managed to do this, but in the morning when I was leaving, I managed to put on one blue shoe and one black shoe without noticing and go on holiday with uncoordinated shoes. But moments like that wouldn't happen if I had a shoe coordinator in my life. And we will accept nothing but the best. So, Jodie Morrison, if you're out there, please get in touch <laughs> for your role as Hannah's shoe coordinator. My mum had to life. post me another <laughs> shoe. <laughs> and then the kids, like, because they would, we were all just learning each other's names on the first day and stuff. They just called me the lady with odd shoes. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to the animal wrangler, Graham Ware. Where are you, Graham? Where are you now? <laughs> Wrangling animals. Uh, and my last one, the model shop buyer or coordinator who has got an excellent name, William Charlie Wrencher. What a great name. That's a great name, I feel Is like, it? in my opinion. I hope you like it, William. Uh, can we talk about Roxanne as a tango? All right. I thought it was a great idea, but I didn't like how they did it. 
and that's probably a lot of the that's probably stands for a lot of the music in that film but you have a funny Roxanne story to tell us yes uh so I, I wanted to talk a bit about prostitutes really because lovely just in case you didn't know uh this film doesn't accurately represent most prostitutes well no they sing neither less. does the film pretty woman uh so yeah most prostitutes don't sing as well as that um it's not quite so glam they've mostly been brought up in care had a drug addiction they're mainly not massively attractive average age about 40 they've mainly got kids they're they're like normal people that you know, some of them must shop in our Morrisons and stuff. Like, they're not, they're not like they are in that film. So anyway, uh, so I used to volunteer with this charity project thing. That's how I know what a prostitute looks like. <laughs> and um, we used to go out on the streets at the weekends in a van, and just they could like come to the van get some sandwiches, get some condoms, have a chat. Most of the night, we're just chatting away to each other. We've got the radio on, stuff like that. We're having hot drinks and stuff. So we had the radio on this one night, and uh, this woman came in. Um, we started chatting with her and stuff. The radio was still on. Then the most inappropriate song in the world to come on when you were in a van with a prostitute came on. Roxanne and... Just, I was like, it was so cringy, and I just, I didn't know whether everyone else was aware how awkward it was that it was just going, you don't have to sell your body to the night. That's not the tune. <laughs> it was, it's really awkward, like, as if we, as if we, that's the song we play from the van to sort of, like, subliminally give them the message that they don't have to be prostitutes anymore. But you can't switch it off because then that draws attention to it. And just the ho- it's such a long song when you're sitting in a van with a prostitute. Do you think Sting considered that when he wrote <laughs> it? I wonder if they'll... That's my impression of Sting. I don't remember what he sounds like. I wonder if they'll play this to summon prostitutes in <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> Roxanne! I don't know, but that's my Roxanne story. Well, thank you for sharing. That was lovely. Yeah, I think to sum up here, I've. I mean... I've put people don't move slash talk like this. I think that was in the middle of the um, in the in the middle of the film, <laughs> and then I've put a hard watch. I don't care for the characters because the whole thing is so implausible, so patently absurd. Because Aww. even when I'm writing full words, I sound like that. Um, I couldn't ever get into it enough to really feel like oh, I should care about that person. Like, at one point, Zidler signs over the Moulin Rouge to the Duke, and then, because Satine is a sort of sort of prostitute, although you never really see any of the prostituting bits, probably for the better, she gets signed over to the Duke in kind of slavery. He's like, she will exclusively be with me. She will be mine. Yeah, That's he a- is pretty creepy it's like you know but there was no there was no real like oh no that guy's just signed over his livelihood and the club he spent his life building it was a bit like "Mm, okay 
and also creepy. I think that would be my summary of a lot of the film. Okay, and also creepy. Mm. Maybe you would like the... Uh. 80s version of this film Rent I haven't seen Rent that's uh, you know arty people having a bad time Becoming a Landlord really ruined my enjoyment of that film oh no the whole be- I know we're not talking about this film but the whole beginning song is how they're not going to pay their rent but I'm like it's not actually unreasonable for a landlord to ask for rent like they've got kids to feed too so you know that's you've signed a contract sorry almost everyone in the world pays for housing in some way or another we pay more yeah yeah i actually went to a mud hut in uganda like literally made of mud and they still paid rent on it Ooh, that's that's yeah sad. it is um, but back to modern day artists oh. having a good bad time what's the date today it's the 12th of october the year of no grace of our lord 2020 (laughs) and artists in great britain are getting the boot we've been told to rethink reskill and reboot uh so today is the day the fatima advert came out you've seen it yeah you showed it to me of a ballet dancer uh, this is a government advert saying her next job could be in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. Rethink, reskill, reboot. There's been a lot of good memes that have come out of it, though. <laughs> so, so, that's all those what creatives at home on the doll I making memes. Today, lots of theatres and different arts venues have been told whether they've been allowed funding or not allowed funding mm-hmm. um, and some places including the brilliant comedy club the Frog and Bucket in Manchester like a massive comedy venue that's been going for 25 years have been told it's not culturally significant so has received no funding um, Yeah, I was going to ask you the question would Moulin Rouge get art funding today do you think the Tory government would fund the Moulin Rouge or would they say not culturally significant would the Moulin Rouge get funding from the Tory no I don't think it would the picture that the government used on that advert Mm -hmm. was of a female dancer telling her to give up on her dreams and go get a proper job yes (laughs) To know as well, a bit of modern day gossip. Oh, I'm not sure I'm qualified for that this. I'd like to spread. All the uh, arts places that did receive funding, a condition of their funding was that they had to say something positive about the funding and receiving funding on social media, and they had to use the hashtag here for culture. Yeah. You sent me money today uh, because I don't have much money and we're sort of joint. But you didn't sort say... Sort of joint? <laughs> well, still we not don't sure? have a joint account, but, you know, we are joint, money-wise, kind of. Anyway, yeah. Um, for a bit of context. Imagine if you'd sent me that money, but gone, I'm not going to send you this money until you put something positive on social media about me. I want you to go on Facebook, and I want you to email all of your p- friends and say, Dan is ace, Dan is great, Dan is here for my culture. <laughs> and also, you might have given me a bit of cash. But that's because he's so wonderful. 
<laughs> yeah, that's creepy. People would. Do be you like, want the money? <laughs> people would be like, Do you want the money? <laughs> but do you want the money though? <laughs> Tweet your friends. <laughs> Tweet your friends on the money for you, filthy artist. Um, it's I, not okay. Is just it? government. I'm right. I know this is meant to be about Milan Rouge, but. It's not my fault I was an artist. I was just born an artist. I can't help it. Like, it would be amazing if I was really into, like, something that paid bills better. But I'm not, you know, if I was really into medicine or something, or law, that would be lovely. But I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. It's an interesting question you raise. Can you be born an artist? Are you born an artist? I mean, that does sound quite up myself, if I just went... Oh, which I did just say. Yes, do you? I didn't mean. I didn't mean. I was. I was born amazing. I mean, I just like making stuff. You could make a bit of money. Like yesterday, our neighbours left this big globe thing just on the street, and I knocked on and was like, "Can I have your globe?" And now I'm already making it into a lampshade and a side table. I just can't help myself. <laughs> Do you have a favourite quote from this film? Oh, poetry me! You do, you beautiful poet! Is that your favourite quote? I don't know if it's favourite, but that whole moment is seared in my mind. Also, I've not acted much in my life, but have you ever tried to act sing into someone's face? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I that... did karaoke in Bootle once. That's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> I think that must be pretty hard not to crack up when somebody gets like really close in your face, really close in your face like this, and then is trying to sing. And sings, we could be lovers. We could be heroes just for one day. All the way through, I was like, wow, she or he is doing a really good job of not cracking up while the other person bellows in their face. Imagine being stood across from a person acting that loudly, that closely. That's a real Would skill. you want to live, maybe just for one day, in a musical world where everything was sang to you and and like there was dances all the time, just about normal stuff like you just go into Morrison's and but that's a whole dance. I would love that. Who's had the Weetabix restock the Weetabix you took the last toilet paper? No, I'd hate that. <laughs> I'd, I'd love prefer it. I'd prefer to be in a silent film. <laughs> actually where there's some kind of capers and a car falls to pieces and everybody moves a bit quicker than normal but everything is blissfully silent apart from perhaps some piano <laughs> diminished chords in the background like a Charlie Chaplin Buster you really Keaton. would love it I'd love a silent film day <laughs> do you have a favourite quote my love uh, yes I like when Satin said just before a snog you're going to be bad for business, I can tell. And I wanted to ask you, what's the funniest thing you've ever said just before a snog? I feel like if I don't say what you're thinking I'll say, you'll tell me. I don't know, I remember that time where we tried to share a piece of chocolate, like two squares of dairy oh, yeah. milk, and I had one square in my mouth. It was meant to be, you know, like on the film... Lady and the Tramp, where they have that spaghetti and it's like really romantic. 
Yes, that really long piece of spaghetti where they start quite far away from each other's faces <laughs> and get closer. Uh, basically, you bit me really quite a lot <laughs> and I bled. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> or what about that time where... This is just worse snog stories now. And all your songs have been with me. You had a new coat and some wellies. Yep. And you electrocuted me, and I saw the spark jump between us. There was a spark between us. Yeah, and it electrocuted my lip, and it hurt, and I was anxious to kiss you for, like, a month afterwards. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying about funny snog stories? Well, there was that time... Snog. ...when we were nearly together, when... Um, go on. I said... Oh no! I like I'd hurt my head or something, and you gave me a kiss on the head, and then I, I cheekily said, "I've hurt my lips too." Then you gave me a full-on snog, huh? and I went, "I didn't say I'd hurt my tongue." Oh gosh, our kids might listen to this. Oh, they'll sorry. be disgusted. Oh, and our parents. I don't know how we got into just telling snogging stories. You're always about a snogging story. So that's it, really, for Moulin Rouge, I think. I think we've waffled on quite a bit about Moulin Rouge, but that means I get to say what film is coming next. What film is coming next? Next film that we're going to watch, I'm going to make you watch Gladiator. (gasps) I'm really excited to this, because I love the TV show, so I'm sure I'm going to love the film. Gladiator! It's the story of Jet, Hunter and Wolfman as they journey across ancient Rome looking for a lozenge for John Anderson. A lozenge? As in the throat suit? Yeah, because you remember John Anderson, he was the one with the Gladiators! Ready! <laughs> he needs a throat suit. Okay. No, it's the Russell Crowe film set in ancient Rome, directed by Ridley Scott. The next podcast will okay. discuss your reaction to... Exciting. ...and my... my explanation of the film gladiator sounds good good well thank you for listening until next time goodbye bye au revoir